Chapter One of The Call of the Wild Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Call of the Wild Flower by Henry Salt. Chapter One Tantus Amor Florum. Virgil. The Call of the Wild, where the love of flowers is concerned, has an attraction which is not the less powerful because it is difficult to explain the charm of the garden may be strong but it is not so strong as that which draws us to seek for wild flowers in their native haunts whether of shore or water meadow field or wood moorland or mountain a garden is but a zoo where the cruelty omitted and just as the true natural history is that which sends us to study animals in the wilds not to coop them in cages so the true botany must bring man to the flower not the flower to man that the lovers of wild flowers those at least who can give active expression to their love are not a numerous folk is perhaps not surprising for even a moderate knowledge of the subject demands such favourable conditions as free access to nature with opportunities for observation beyond what most persons command but what they lack in numbers they make up in zeal and to none is the approach of spring more welcome than to those who are then on the watch for the reappearance of floral friends for it is as friends not garden captives or herbarium specimens that the flower lover desires to be acquainted with flowers it is not their uses that attract him that is the business of the herbalist nor is it their structure and analysis the botanist will see to that what he craves is a knowledge of the loveliness the actual life and character of plants in their relation to man what may be called the spiritual aspect of flowers and this is seen and felt much more closely when they are sought in their free wild state than when they are cultivated on rockery or in parterre the reality of this love of wild flowers is evident but its cause and meaning are less easy to discern is it only part of a modern return to nature or a sign of some latent sympathy between plant and man we do not know but we know that our interest in flowers is no longer utilitarian as in the herbalism of a bygone time or decorative and aesthetic as in the immemorial use of the garland on festive occasions and in the association of the wine cup with a rose the great affection that chaucer felt for the daisy marked a new era and later poets have carried the sentiment still further till it reached a climax in the faith that wordsworth avowed one impulse from a vernal wood may teach you more of man of moral evil and of good than all the sages can here is a new herbalism of the heart we smile nowadays at the credulity of the old physicians who rated so highly the virtues of certain plants as to assert for example that comfrey the great consound as they called it had actual power to unite and solidify a broken bone but how if there be flowers that can in very truth make whole a broken spirit even in the middle ages it was recognized that mental benefit was to be gained from this source as when betony was extolled for its value in driving away despair and when fuga daemonum was the name given to st john's wort that golden petalled amulet which when hung over a doorway could put all evil spirits to flight that like many another flower it can put the blues to flight is a fact which no modern flower lover will doubt 
but what may be called the anthropocentric view of wild flowers is now happily becoming obsolete their beauty was given them for our delight wrote anne pratt in one of the pleasantest of her books footnote haunts of the wild flowers End of footnote. god sent them to teach us lessons of himself it would somewhat spoil our joy in the beauty of wild flowers if we thought they had been sent like potted plants from a nursery for any purpose whatsoever for it is their very naturalness their independence of man that charms us and our regard for them is less the prosaic satisfaction of an owner in his property than the love of a friend or even the worship of a devotee the devotion to something afar from the sphere of our sorrow this i think is the true gospel of the love of flowers though as yet it has found but little expression in the literature of the subject flowers as flowers was thoreau's demand when he lamented in his journal that there was no book which treated of them in that light no real biography of plants the same want is felt by the english reader to-day there is no writer who has done for the wild flower what mr w h hudson has done for the bird footnote unless it be canon john vaughan in those two delightful books of his the wild flowers of selborne and the music of wild flowers Close footnote. indeed the books mostly fail not only to portray the life of the plant but even to give an intelligible account of its habitat and appearance for very few writers however sound their technical knowledge possess the gift of lucid description a gift which depends in its turn upon that sympathy with other minds which enables an author to see precisely what instruction is needed thus it often happens that unless personal help is available it is a matter of great difficulty for a beginner to learn the haunts of flowers or to distinguish them when found for when he refers to the books he finds much talk about inessential things and little that goes directly to the point one might have thought that a new and strange flower would attract the eye more readily than a known one but it is not so the old is detected much more easily than the new out of sight out of mind says the proverb and conversely that which is not yet in mind will long tarry out of sight but when once a new flower even a rare one has been discovered it is curious how often it will soon be noticed afresh in another place this i think must be the experience of all who have made systematic search for flowers and it explains why the novice will frequently see but little where the expert will see much not until the various initial obstacles have been overcome can one appreciate the true call of the wild the full pleasures of the chase when we have learnt not only what plants are to be looked for but those two essential conditions the when and the where the rule of season and of soil the flowers that bloom in spring in summer or in autumn the flowers that grow by shore meadow bog river or mountain on chalk limestone sand or clay then the quest becomes more effective and each successive season will add materially to our widening circle of acquaintance then too we may begin to discard that rather vapid class of literature the popular flower book which too often deals sentimentally in vague descriptions of plants diversified with bad illustrations and with edifying remarks about the goodness of the creator and may find a new and more rational interest in the published floras of such counties or districts as have yet received that distinction for dry though it is in form a flora with its classified list of plants and 
its notes collected from many sources past and present as to their stations in the county becomes an almost romantic book of adventure when the student can supply the details from his own knowledge and so read with illumination between the lines here let us suppose it to be said is a locality where grows some rare and beautiful flower one of the prizes of the chase what hopes and aspirations such an assurance may arouse what encouragement to future enterprise what regrets it may be for some almost forgotten omission in the past which left that very neighborhood unsearched it is possible that a cold matter-of-fact entry in a local flora will thus throw a sudden light on some bygone expedition and show us that if we had but taken a slightly different direction in our walk but it is vain to lament what is irreparable of such musings upon the might have been i can myself speak with feeling for i was not so fortunate in my youth as to be initiated into the knowledge of flowers it was not till much later in life as i wandered among the welsh and english mountains that the scales fell from my eyes and looking on the beauty of the saxifrages i realized what glories i had missed thus i was compelled to put myself to school so to speak and to make a study of wild flowers with the aid of such books as were available a process which like a botanical jude the obscure i found by no means easy the self-educated man we know is apt to be perverse and opinionated so i trust my readers will make due allowance if they notice such faults in this book i can truly plead as the illiterate do that i am no scholar more's the pity but it was my friends and acquaintances those at least who had some botanical knowledge who were the chief sufferers during this period of inquiry and looking back i often marvel at the patience with which they endured the problems with which i confronted them i remember waylaying my friend w j jupe a very faithful flower lover with some mutilated and unrecognizable labiate plant which i thought might be calamin and how tactfully he suggested that my conjecture was near enough on another occasion it was edward carpenter the sage of millthorpe or wild sage as some botanical friend once irreverently described him who volunteered to assist me by means of a scientific book which shows by an unerring process how to eliminate the wrong flowers until at the end you are left with the right one duly named all through the list we went but there must have been a slip somewhere for in the conclusion one thing alone was clear that whatever my plant might be it was not that which the scientific book indicated of all my friends and helpers bertram lloyd whose acquaintance with wild flowers is unusually large and to whom in all that pertains to natural history i am as the grey barbarian vide tennyson to the christian child was the most constant and long-suffering he solved many of my enigmas and introduced me to some of his choicest flower haunts among the chiltern hills in the course of my researches i was sometimes referred for guidance to persons who were known in their respective home circles as the botanists of the family a title which i found was not quite equivalent to that of the complete botanist there was one botanist of the family who was visibly embarrassed when i asked her the name of a plant that is common on the chalk hills but is so carelessly described in the books as to be easily confused with other kindred species she gazed at it long with a troubled eye and then 
as if feeling that her domestic reputation must at all hazards be upheld replied firmly hemp nettle hemp nettle it was not it was wild basil but years after when i began to have similar questions put to myself i realized how disconcerting it is to be thus suddenly interrogated it made me understand why cabinet ministers so frequently insist that they must have notice of that question with one complete botanist however i was privileged to become acquainted mr c e salmon whose special diocese so to speak is the county of surrey but whose intimate knowledge of wild flowers extends to many counties and coasts not a few favors did i receive from him in certifying for me some of the more puzzling plants and very good-naturedly he bore the disappointment when on his asking me to send him for his flora of surrey a list of the rarer flowers in the neighbourhood where i was living i included among them the small burr parsley coccolus dacoides a vanished native a prodigal son of the county whose return would have been a matter for gladness but alas my plant was not a coccolus at all but a torilus a squatweed of the cornfields which by its superficial resemblance to its rare cousin had grossly imposed upon my ignorance it is when he has acquired some familiarity with the ordinary british plants that a flower lover thus educated late in life finds his thoughts turning to the vanished opportunities of the past i used to speculate regretfully on what i had missed in my early wanderings in wild places as in the isle of skye where i picked up the eagle's feather but overlooked the mountain flower or on ben lars a summit rich in rare alpines to which i was then stone blind or in a score of other localities which i can scarcely hope to revisit but time which heals all things brought me a sort of compensation for these delinquencies for with a fuller knowledge of plants i could to some extent reconstruct in imagination the sights that were formerly unseen and with the eye of faith admire the alpine forget-me-not on the ridges of ben lowers or the yellow butterwort in the marshes of sky nor was it always in imagination only for sometimes a friend would send me a rare flower from some distant spot and then there was pleasure indeed in the opening of the parcel and in anticipating what it might contain the posk flower perhaps or the wild tulip or the adonis or the golden zamphir or some other of the many local treasures that make glad the flower lover's heart the exhibitions of wild flowers that are now held in the public libraries of not a few towns are extremely useful and often awake a love of nature in minds where it has hitherto been but dormant a queer remark was once made to me by a visitor at the brighton show this is a good institution he said it saves you from tramping for the flowers yourself i had not regarded the exhibition in that light on the contrary it stimulates many persons to a pursuit which is likely to fascinate them more and more for no tramps can be pleasanter than those in quest of wild flowers especially if one has a fellow enthusiast for companion failing that it is wiser to go alone for when a flower lover tramps with someone who has no interest in the pursuit the result is likely to be discomfiting he must either forego his own haltings and deviations with the probability that he will miss something valuable or he must feel that he is delaying his friend in a company i always pray that their numbers may be uneven and that it may not be necessary to march stolidly in pairs 
where one-to-one -one is cursedly confined as dryden said of matrimony or worse of all where one's yoke-fellow may insist as sometimes happens on walking in step and be forever shuffling his feet as if obeying the commands of some invisible drill-sergeant it is not with the feet that we should seek harmony but with the heart my intention in this book is to speak of the more noteworthy flowers of a few distinctive localities that are known to me starting from the coast of sussex and ascending to the high mountains of wales in the northwest i propose also to intersperse the descriptive chapters here and there with discussions of such special topics as may incidentally arise and here at the outset i was tempted to say a few words about my own favorite flowers not such universally admired beauties as the primrose violet daffodil hyacinth forget-me-not and the others whose names will readily suggest themselves for lovely as they are it would be superfluous to add to their praises but rather are some less famous plants the saints and anchorites of the floral world the flower lovers flowers not the popular but the best beloved on second thoughts however i will leave these choicest ones with a single exception to be mentioned in their due place and surroundings and will here name but one of them a flower which is among the first not only in the order of merit but in the order of the seasons the greater stitchwort as writers tell us is one of the most ornamental of our early flowers but surely it is something more than that the radiance of those white stars that stud the hedge-banks and roadsides in april and may is dearer to some of us than many of the more favoured blossoms that poets have sung of the dull english name quite fails to do justice to the almost ethereal lustre of the flower the latin stellaria is truer and more expressive the reappearance of the stitchwort like that of the orange-tipped butterfly is one of the keenest joys of spring and one of our keenest regrets in spring is that the stitchwort's flowering season is so short. End of chapter one.